This is a Reconstruction Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF form. The Greatness of the Great Commission, Christian Enterprise in a Fallen World, written by Kenneth L. Gentry, Jr., published in 1990 by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas, narrated by Joseph Spurgeon. Chapter 2 The Covenant and the Great Commission And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Luke 22.20 Structuring the God-ordained task of man in the world is a distinctive legal framework, which is abundantly exhibited in Scripture. That legal structure is known as covenant. The Bible is very much a covenant document. Even a cursory reading of Scripture demonstrates the Bible has a strongly covenantal cast. The word covenant occurs almost 300 times in the Old Testament and 30 times in the New Testament. To understand the implications of the covenant idea and its foundational significance for the Great Commission's redemptive truth, we need a little background introduction. Mutually established covenants were common among the ancients, examples of which are numerous both in Scripture and in ancient non-biblical texts. By way of example, we might notice the covenants between the following parties, Abraham and Abimelech, Genesis 21, 22-32, Isaac and Abimelech, Genesis 26, 26-31, Jacob and Laban, Genesis 31, 43-55, Joshua and the Gibeonites, Joshua 9, 3-15, and Solomon, Hiram, 1 Kings 5, 12. There are many others. Such mutually established covenants are similar to modern contracts and treaties, although with some important differences. These human covenants were between roughly equal parties, man to man. Also revealed in Scripture are the much more importantly sovereignly established divine covenants. The parties in these are decidedly unequal, the infinite God and finite man. Some of the divine covenants received an emphasis in Scripture are those established with Adam, Hosea 6.8, Noah, Genesis 6.18, Abraham, Genesis 15.18, Israel, Exodus 24.8, and David, Psalm 89.3. Often the future from the Old Testament perspective lay the glorious final new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31-34. Paul summed up the various Old Testament covenants as being the covenants, plural, of the promise, singular, Ephesians 2, 12. There is both a basic unity undergirding the divine covenants as well as a progressive development in them. Legal Definition Succinctly stated, a covenant may be defined as a solemnly established legal oath bond which creates a favorable relation between two or more parties based on certain specified terms and which promises blessings for faithful adherence to those terms while threatening curses for unfaithful departure from them. Let us consider the basic qualifying elements of our definition. A covenant is a legal oath bond. In a covenant, the parties solemnly swear to maintain the obligations outlined in the covenant contract. Of divine covenant scripture notes regarding God, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Hebrews 6.13 A covenant establishes a legal bond to which appeal can be made by either party if the terms are breached. Thus, a covenant establishes and protects specified rights. Furthermore, each party to the covenant was to have a copy of the covenant contract. This is why the covenantal Ten Commandments were on two tables of stone. Each stone held a complete copy of the Ten Commandments for each party, God and man. 
A covenant establishes a particular relation. The purpose of a covenant is to establish a favorable relationship. The heart of God's covenants of the promise, Ephesians 2.12, is, I will be your God, and you will be my people. This idea occurs a great number of times in Scripture. The divine covenants establish a favorable relationship between God and his people. By means of the covenant, the covenant people become intimately related to the God of creation and redemption. A covenant protects and promotes itself. Favorable covenantal relations are conditional. They are maintained only by a faithful keeping of the specified legal terms. Thus, of the covenant set before Israel in Deuteronomy 34, 15, and 19, we read, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, and death and adversity. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Obedience to covenantal demands brings blessings. Disobedience brings cursings. A covenant is solemnly and formally established. Covenants are not causal, informal, and inconsequential arrangements. They are established in a most solemn manner by means of designated symbolic actions. The manner in which they are established is quite significant. For instance, in Genesis 15, God sovereignly and graciously established his covenant with Abram by passing alone between the pieces of the animals Abram had sacrificed. Genesis 15, 8-17 The symbolic covenantal action represented to Abram was a graphic pledged to death by God. He solemnly promised that he would perform his covenantal promise, or else be destroyed, as were the sacrificial animals. Thus, in the Hebrew language, the phrase, to make a covenant, may be translated literally, to cut a covenant. Ancient, sovereignly established covenants between imperial kings, suzerains, and lesser kings, and conquered nations and peoples, vassals, often have a five-fold structure, generally found in the order below. A brief introduction of this structure will help us to understand God's covenant, which also follows this covenantal pattern. 1. Transcendence Usually a preamble offering an introductory statement, identifying the sovereignty of the covenant-making king. 2. Hierarchy An historical prologue summarizing the king's authority and the mediation of his rule by reminding of the historical circumstances of it. 3. Ethics a detail of the legal stipulations defining the ethics of faithful living under the covenant bond. 4. Oath. The setting forth of the sanctions of the covenant, specifying the promises and the warnings of the covenant by the taking of a formal oath. 5. Succession. An explanation of the arrangements transferring the covenant to future generations. As I mentioned above, God's covenant follows the same pattern. As a matter of fact, this covenant structure appears frequently in the Bible. One prominent example is the entire book of Deuteronomy, which I will outline by way of illustration. 1. Transcendence Specifying the sovereignty of the covenant-making God Deuteronomy 1, 1-3 through 3 serves as the preamble to the covenant detailed in Deuteronomy. In verse 3, Israel is told that Moses is delivering all that the Lord had commanded him to give them. The English Lord translates the Hebrew Jehovah, which occurs over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. It was God's special, redemptive, covenantal name. By this name, he made himself known to Israel just prior to their glorious deliverance from Egypt. Exodus 6, 2-7 The name Jehovah immediately spoke of God's exalted majesty and glorious might. This was he who spoke and made covenant in Deuteronomy. 2. Hierarchy Specifying the mediation of the covenant maker's sovereign authority. In Deuteronomy 1, verse 6, through chapter 4, verse 49, we discover a brief rehearsal of the covenantal history of Israel, which was to remind Israel of God's active, historical rule in world affairs. 
let us notice three aspects of the hierarchy involved. One, the Lord was Israel's ultimate ruler. He graciously led and protected Israel in the wilderness and promised to overthrow their enemies in the promised land. Deuteronomy 1, 19-25 and 29-31. Number two, below the ultimate rulership of God was established the immediate governance of Israel by elected elders. Deuteronomy 1, 12-16. These were to rule for God. Deuteronomy 1, 17. Three, under the direction of the government of Israel, the nation was to be an influential example to the nations of the goodness of God and his ultimate rule. Deuteronomy 4, 4 through 8. In essence, they were to be a light to the world, ministering by hierarchical authority, the rule of God in the world. Israel, as a body, was God's representative in the earth. Three, ethics, specifying the stipulations of the covenant. In Deuteronomy, the stipulations are found in chapters 5, 1, through chapter 26, verse 19. At the head of this section stand the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 21, which are the basic, fundamental law principles of God. The other laws contained in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and elsewhere are case laws, which illustrate how the base law is to apply under certain illustrative circumstances. 4. Oath, specifying the solemn sanctions of the covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 through chapter 30 verse 20, the sanctions of the covenant are recorded. These sanctions encourage ethical conduct by promising reward and discourage ethical rebellion by threatening curse. 5. Succession, specifying the transfer of the covenantal arrangements into the future. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 through 33, Moses is approaching death, 31 verse 2. He encourages future strength, 31, 6 through 8, and involvement of all the people, including the children, 31, 9 through 13. Obedience ensures future continuity of blessing, 32, 46 through 47, upon all their tribes, chapter 33, 1 through 29. Clearly, the covenant idea is a fundamental concept in Scripture. Just as clearly, the covenant is framed in concrete terms to avoid any confusion as to obligations and responsibilities. We come now to the heart of the matter, whether Christ's Great Commission is a covenant. If it is, then it will display the five-point structure of the biblical covenant model. There will be other indications of the covenantal aspects of his ministry. If the Great Commission really is a covenant, then all Christians come under its stipulations. They are required by God to work in history to carry it out. Christ is the fulfillment of the most basic promise of the covenant. In him, all the promises of God find their ultimate expression. 1 Corinthians 1.20 he is the confirmation of the promises of God, Romans 15.8. Thus, at his birth, the joy of God's covenant promise came to expression in an inspired song in Zechariah's prophecy, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, Luke 1.72. The fundamental promises of the covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people, comes to expression in the birth of the one called Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 1.23, who came to save his people from their sins. Matthew 1.21. Christ was self-consciously the messenger of the covenant. This messenger of the covenant was prophesied in Malachi 3.1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That Christ comes as the messenger of the covenant is put beyond serious question in Christ's application of the first part of Malachi 3.1 to John the Baptist, who was Christ's forerunner. 
Matthew 11.10 records Christ's tribute to John. This is the one about whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Thus, he cleared the way for the messenger of the covenant. One of the longest recorded messages of Christ is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5-7. through Interestingly, Christ seems intentionally to peril himself with Moses, through whom came the Mosaic Covenant. He does so by presenting himself on the mountain, Matthew 5.1, as the law keeper, Matthew 5.15, in peril with Moses on Mount Sinai as the law giver, Exodus 19-24. Elsewhere, comparisons between Christ and Moses or Sinai appear. Moses and Elijah, who represent the law and the prophets, the Old Covenant, even appear somewhat later in Christ's ministry on the Mount of Transfiguration to cede their covenantal authority to Christ. They spoke to him regarding his soon coming departure from the world through death, when he would formally establish the new covenant. The new covenant was established by Christ, the messenger of the covenant, in the upper room on the night preceding his crucifixion. It was established before him and his new covenant error people. The new covenant is the fruition or consummation of the several progressive divine covenants which developed God's redemptive plan in the Old Testament era. It is clear that Christ presents himself as the messenger of the covenant to establish the final consummative covenant between God and his people. And this is significant for understanding the Great Commission as a covenantal transaction. I have spent these several pages developing the covenantal theme of Scripture in order to put the Great Commission in covenantal perspective. The Great Commission is a summary of the New Covenant. Consequently, we discover it in the specific structuring features so characteristic of covenants. At this juncture, we will just briefly suggest the covenantal elements of the Great Commission. These will be exhibited in detail in Part 2 of this study. The basic structure of the Great Commission involves the following elements. Number 1. Transcendent Sovereignty Christ gives the commission from a mountain setting, an environment so characteristic of exaltedness in Scripture. The eleven disciples proceed to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has designated, Matthew 28:16. 2. Hierarchical Authority From the mountaintop, Christ declares all authority in heaven and earth is his. He then commissions his followers to make his authority known and felt throughout the earth. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28, 17, 18, and 19. 3. Oath Commitment Those to be brought under the gracious sway of Christ's authority should be baptized in His name as a pledge of covenantal allegiance to Him. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19. Number 4. Ethical Stipulations Those who are bound to Him in baptism are to learn and obey the stipulations of their Sovereign, Christ Jesus. Make disciples of all the nations. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Number 5. Succession Arrangements Christ established His commission for the extension of His authority through space, all nations, Matthew 28, 19, and through time. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, verse 20. The repeated emphasis of Scripture on covenant cannot be denied. Our God is a covenant-making God, who speaks and acts in history among men. The redemption he provides in Christ cannot properly and fully be understood apart from the covenantal progress exhibited in Scripture. 
Neither may our task as Christians be properly grasped apart from the covenant. As we shall see, the covenantal framework of the Great Commission holds within it the essence of the Christian enterprise, of the Christian's calling in the world. May we dedicate ourselves to that task as we come to a better comprehension of it. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.